0: Hello, Revolution! How are we doing, guys? You all here? Take a seat, take a seat. I will be uh, giving the message tonight over Luke 4. Um, just kidding, I will not. I'll leave that to the professional, David Dowdy. A um, few announcements for you guys tonight. Free Market is the 15th. Um, if you guys don't know what Free Market is free market is, um, I think that's the Saturday and it'll be from like 12 to eight, I believe. And it's where we can bring in, uh, you know, start bringing in some clothes, some, some gently worn, um, whether it's clothes or, or, um, any furniture or toys that for kids, we want to provide the community that, uh, people that are in need with clothes or whatever it may be, um, whoever that needs, that needs any of those items, they can come here freely and take what they need. Um, so, if you can, if you have any um, anything just laying around you don't really use anymore, I know we all do. So, don't say you don't. Um, just come in and bring them here, or bring them to the Rev House. Um, see David, see see someone um, Ryan, and uh, we'll get that stuff taken care of. You know, help the community out, be a way to serve in the community. Um, the twenty third, the week before uh, Thanksgiving. The Sunday before Thanksgiving, we will not be having revolution, but uh, Christ community has been gracious to invite us um, to have dinner with them uh, as a body of believers, so it's free, you know, we don't have to pay anything, but next week we're going to have a spreadsheet light up um, down here at the table, and if you would like to go, it's going to be at 6.30, is that right, Rick? What time is the Thanksgiving dinner? Six. Okay, 6, so be here early. Um, that's going to be tough for this crowd. Um, so be there at six, let's just say 545, we, it starts at 545, um, so that way we'll be here on time. <laughs> that's the 23rd, so, uh, keep that in mind, and Revolu uh, the Rev Band's going to be playing up here, um, so, that's something to look forward to. Um, East End stuff, you know, because the weather, it's been freezing outside, and, um, I feel bad for... Those of you like me who do not have heat or much heat in their house, because um, it sucks. But um, Easton stuff because the weather's been coming to a close, so we're going to be having uh, some. So college students, this is where um, we know budgets are tight and stuff. So, but if you could save up, you know, fifteen dollars or twenty, and get with a friend, and uh, Ryan and and Dave and where they're going to be partnering us with, maybe some kids and maybe do like our own Operation Christmas Child or um, take care of some families in the East end. And that's what we really want to really, really want to do that, um, for the community. Um, so that's maybe some stuff that we're going to be as these East end activities are closing down for the winter. Um, that's some stuff that you guys can be involved in, um, be the hand and feet of Christ there tonight. We are doing communion just so you know, so stick around after the service and we'll be having free food. Um, donations are accepted. I'm just kidding. Uh, Autumn's still wanting volunteers for the nursery. I think she's back there. Um, so if you guys can volunteer your time, um, as we get more and more kids, um, we need more and more volunteers. So be, please be generous with your time there. And one last thing, um, Mike and Elaine are here from China. And if you guys have not met them yet, um, raise your hands, guys. Where are you guys? Oh, yeah, they're back here in the corner. Um, So they're visiting, and they're hoping to um, just raise some money while they're back in town um, before they go back um, to the mission field. Um, So if you guys can stop by there, just maybe see what they're doing, they can tell you, enlighten you a little bit about it if you have any questions, and uh, feel free to um, to be praying for them and donate if you can as well. And I think that's about it for my announcements. Oh, Bible study, yes. Um, This next week, uh, just Monday, Bible study on campus in Massey 211. David will be teaching that, so we will be coming in as a big group. Um, so that'll be fun. And I think we just have four more lessons the rest of the uh, semester. So if you guys haven't been able to come, um, just try and come. It's at 8 o'clock in Massey 211, and we'd be uh, grateful to have you guys. So as you guys greet each other this, um, this fine evening, uh, November, you know, what really drives a man you know some some of you can say you know money or whatever or maybe even god but but i think what really drives a man is his beard and so you know i want you guys especially men to kind of give each other some encouragement as this no shave november is going on and maybe women you know of course i'm i'm not saying you can't grow facial hair but let's just you know you can just maybe compliment the dudes on their facial hair I know this is my first one that I've actually been able to participate in. Um, yes, not yet. You'll see close to the end of the month. It'll be here, I promise. Um, so just greet each other and uh, try to get to know one another. each other. Thank you.
1: What's up, Revolution? Woo! One more time, that was weak. What's up, Revolution? Woo! I'll take it, whatever. No one's paying attention. There are so many people here. So Kelly said that he's not going to do No Shave November, and neither am I. It's a mild joke for those of you who weren't paying attention, whatever. I'm participating in this thing called No Shave No Ever, and I encourage as many men in here that are able to roll with me. Don't even trim it. Just let it be all like gross and white trashy. Like, you see this? Like, It's gross. Just let it happen. Um, so uh, I was out last week. I was in Cleveland with uh, the men of my family celebrating my grandfather's 71st birthday. And I'm sorry I couldn't be here. I really missed you guys. I trusted Ryan, though, because he has to trust me a lot. So I trusted him to bring it. And I heard he did. I heard he did well. Um, Yeah, woo! Yeah, come on, woo! Yeah! I'm sorry, we were talking earlier about, like, being in, like, a rock band. And, like, this is the closest thing I'm ever going to be to, like, getting a crowd to, like, do anything I want them to do. It's just telling you, raise your hands, yell, woo! Like, this is the closest thing I'm ever going to get to. Um, But tonight we're going to be in Luke chapter 4 verses 14 through 30, and uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a minute before we hop in there, um, but if you don't have a Bible, take one of those blue Bibles home with you. That is our gift to you, and uh, if you're lazy like me, the scripture's going to be up here on the board behind me. Um, but before we hop into this, we're actually skipping ahead uh, a chapter. We're skipping over Jesus' baptism and Jesus' temptation in the desert, and not that that's not important, but we're really going to focus in on what Jesus taught during this series of Luke. Um, so, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, he was. Um, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a look at Jesus' first sermon that he ever taught. But before we hop into that, um, I started thinking about Nazareth, uh, where Jesus was from. is a really small town, like less than 500 people, incredibly small. And I started thinking about Minford, where I'm from, which is an incredibly small town. How many people here are from Scioto County? Yeah. How many people here are not from Scioto County? Yes. And if you didn't raise your hand at some point already, I'm really confused because <laughs> I don't know where you're from. Um, but I started thinking about being from a really small, ordinary place um, like Minford and like Siodo County in general. And I started thinking about some cool stuff that has actually uh, happened like, with people from Siodo County or like, that came out of Siodo County. And I got some stuff for you guys this evening. Uh, the first thing that was really cool that I found out was um, there's this dude, he's from Siodoville. He actually graduated with my dad. Uh, all growing up, he was really into design and fashion and making dresses and stuff like that. And, uh, and actually, he, long story short, went on to work for Michael Jackson. He got picked up by Michael Jackson to make uh, all of like those crazy flamboyant outfits that you see. So that's pretty gnarly. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. This dude's from Sciotoville. Um, another thing, too. Uh, how many people in here like NASCAR? Four people. That is what I'm talking about. Um, half of you are liars. You're from Scioto County. Um, and actually the, the gas cans that you use to fill up NASCAR, uh, vehicles, they have like, they're vented so they can pump like 11 gallons worth of fuel into the car in like a matter of seconds. And the dude who created that design is actually from Sayada County, which big surprise, right? NASCAR dude from Sayada County. Um, a couple other cool things for musicians out there. Uh, Brad Paisley, if any of you guys are into country music, Brad Paisley's bass player is actually from Portsmouth or Rosemount. I can't remember which one, but he's actually from Sayada County. And uh, some of you might know this one a little bit better if you guys are into rock music, Skillet. Their guitar player uh, that left four years ago was replaced by a dude from Wheelersburg, um, which is like maybe 15, 20 minutes from here. So there's some actual cool stuff that comes out of Saturday County. Um, Also, the greatest pastor that you guys have ever met in your entire life is actually from Minford, Ohio. Um, Some of you didn't get the joke. I'm from Minford. (laughs) I'm not really that arrogant. Um, But I would have never guessed that any of that was true because Soda County is so ordinary. Just like you would never guess if you were from Nazareth that anything like substantial was going to come out of that place. There was actually a, a part in the Bible where this guy's being a smart aleck and he says, can anything good come from Nazareth whenever someone says the Messiah is from there? Um, so being from Minford in a small place and all that stuff, I started thinking if someone rolled up on me from Minford that I knew telling me that he was the son of God, I would be shocked. And then I would have the man committed because he would be insane, right? So whenever Jesus shows up in this bit that we're getting ready to read, we see that he does the exact same thing, that Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth, and he tells everyone there, I am the Messiah. And not only does he do that, but we're going to see Jesus saying some very offensive things and revealing things about people that they don't like. Because make no mistake, Jesus is not a wuss. Jesus is the most radical and controversial teacher that has ever existed. I really want, I hope, by the end of this whole sermon series that you guys really get that Jesus isn't probably who you thought he was. He was a lot more controversial than you previously thought he was. And So Jesus, we're going to see, is going to reveal prejudices, And he's going to reveal the hearts of people and he's going to reveal arrogance in our lives. And then he's going to draw a hard line that demands us to accept him as Messiah and accept him as Savior and accept him as the Son of God. He's going to draw a very hard line that says it's that or perish. So we're all going to have to face the question, will we accept Jesus or will we reject him? Will we accept Him as the Messiah? Will we accept Him as the Son of God? Or will we reject Him? And then also we're going to have to answer the question, will we embrace His message of inclusivity for all peoples? Or are we going to remain arrogant and prejudiced? So those are the two questions we're going to have to ask ourselves this evening. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30, and we're going to see what Luke wrote about Jesus. He said, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. So at this point, Jesus is a known teacher. Everyone has heard who he is from his area. And he decides to go home and teach there. So he goes to synagogue, which is a Jewish form of church. And he goes there as a teacher. Verse 17 says, The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Before we go there, you guys need to know that there is tons in Isaiah written about the Messiah. So Jesus picks a spot that tells what this Messiah is. Jesus is going to do and why he has come. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? So Jesus just publicly proclaimed to be the Messiah. He just publicly proclaimed to be the Son of God, the person that these people have been waiting for for hundreds of years. He says that, I have come to set the spiritual captives free, people that are bound in sin. I have come to give people that are spiritually blind sight so that they can see that they need me to save them, that I have come to set people free and preach good news to the spiritually poor. Spiritually poor is people who realize how much that they need a savior because of the things that they've done. He's saying, I have come to do those things, but the people reject him as the Messiah. Right off the rip, they say, you know, we're amazed at your words. You're a great public speaker, but you're Joseph's son. You're not the son of God. You're not the Messiah. We know you. There's no way that the Messiah is coming out of Nazareth. You're the son of a lying woman. You're the son of a poor carpenter. You're not the person we're looking for. And then Jesus says, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any one of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. So what Jesus is saying in a nutshell is, you didn't listen to the other prophets who performed miracles among you. You're not going to listen to me either. Israel had a reputation for rejecting prophets and calling them liars, saying that they're not actually prophets of God because they preached a message that they didn't want to hear. So it's exactly what Jesus says. You're going to do that to me because that's what you've done with every other prophet that's come before me, and you're going to to reject me just the same. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way, which is the coolest ending to this story ever. I think that's so cool. Like I just see Jesus like palming people, like just get out, just like rolling through. <laughs> They're like, show us a miracle, Jesus. And then he does. He, he walks straight through a crowd of people that were trying to kill him just seconds before. I think that is awesome. Jesus is like, not today, son. It's not happening. And then the Bible says that that's because Jesus' time had not come to die yet. That he's saying, okay, yeah, you're, you're going to, kill me eventually, but it's not yet. This is actually a foreshadowing of Jesus' ministry. He's going to preach things that people don't like. He's going to call people to have faith in him as the Messiah, and then they're going to want to kill him. This is just a foreshadowing of Jesus' entire ministry. But I think the question that we have to ask, that at first read through this or first glance you're not going to catch, why were the Jews so angry with Jesus at what he said? What was so offensive? And in order to understand the offense of this whole thing, like of Jesus' message, we have to take a look at who Elijah and Elisha were and what they did. So, a little bit of background. I love this stuff. love history. love the Old Testament. Elijah was a prophet in Old Testament Israel. This is a long time before Jesus. He actually, he was a prophet whenever King Ahab was king of Israel. What you need to know about Ahab is he was the worst king that Israel ever had. He was the most idolatrous king, worshiping false gods that Israel ever had. He built all kinds of shrines all over the empire, trying to to promote idol worship instead of worship of the one true God of Israel. And during that time, during the worst time of of Israel's idolatry, Elijah preaches repentance to these people. He tells them to stop stop ignoring God's commands the holiness, stop worshiping false gods, and turn back to the one true God that you know is real. And Israel ignored him and remained idolaters, remained rebellious to God's command. So God throws judgment down on these people. He throws judgment down in the form of a a three-and-a-half-year drought. People are starving to death. God's saying, this is a foreshadowing of my judgment on you in general. This is a foretaste of hell. This is my judgment on you right here, right now, for ignoring my prophet and not repenting. And then since the Israelites wouldn't listen to Elijah, God sent Elijah to a non-Jewish country called Sidon, and to a Gentile woman, and a non-Jewish woman, because she was going to listen to Elijah, where everyone else was ignoring his calls to repent. And then of all the people in Israel with leprosy, Jesus says, Elisha healed Naaman, who was a Gentile. All right, so God's judgment was on those who wouldn't listen to the prophet that God sent. So then he sent the prophet to whoever would listen, including Gentiles. And if this doesn't kind of sound like kind of offensive yet, you need to know this. Jewish people hated Gentiles in Israel. If you were not a Jew, you were, you were not the chosen people. You were, we have nothing to do with those people. They don't worship the same God that we worship. They're dirty. They're actually considered unclean, and they couldn't become clean unless they became Jewish. We have nothing to do with them. We look down on them. We thank God every day that he didn't make us as bad as these wretched sinners down the street. All right, that's the attitude that these people had. So what's the point of all of this, of Jesus, of Jesus saying all this? Why did I explain this to you guys? Jesus, summing up what he taught, He's saying whoever rejects me, whoever rejects Jesus and his message of freedom for the spiritually captive is under God's judgment just like Old Testament Israel was whenever Elijah was around and God had the famine. He's saying that if you don't accept me as the Messiah, you're an idolater. You're just as wicked as King Ahab and the Jews of that time if you won't accept me as Messiah. And they knew that Ahab was the worst king that they had ever had. And then secondly, Jesus' message is for anyone who will accept it, period. And they didn't like that because they did not desire the salvation of, of all people. And at those thoughts, the Jews get angry enough to kill Jesus. Again, the first one, Jesus pronounced judgment on them for rejecting him as Messiah. And then Jesus revealed their prejudices about not wanting the Gentiles to be saved. I don't know if you've ever had anything revealed about you that you weren't really ready for or that you knew wasn't a good thing. Sometimes you get embarrassed, and sometimes you get really, really, really mad. And now I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to reveal something about myself. So buckle up, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Brady, this is for you. You don't know this yet. Um, Go ahead. It's okay to start laughing. I'm about to tell Brady something he didn't know. Uh, I love cereal. I love cereal a lot. And I don't buy cereal because I can eat a whole box of cereal in like two sittings and not even say I'm sorry for it. Brady also loves cereal and Brady will buy cereal. (laughs) Some of you see where I'm going with this, but don't get too far ahead of me. And he'll buy milk, too, which is something else I don't buy. Uh, So one day, I decide I want a bowl of cereal. I'm a thief. I'm a cereal thief. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm publicly repenting to the entire congregation. I'm a cereal thief. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching The Shining. Halloween, right? The Shining, anyone? Whatever. Four people. Whatever. Again. Um, But I'm sitting there, and I'm eating Brady's cereal, and I'm, I look up at the clock. I'm like, man, it's about time for Brady to be home, but I'm just going to finish up this food, and then I'm going to wash the dishes, and no one's ever going to know that I ate Brady's stuff, because I always trick Brady into buying these great big generic brand things of cereal so I can sneak some of it, and he doesn't realize it's gone. So I hear I'm eating this. I'm, like, trying to eat it quick, and I hear the door click, and I was like, oh, man, and then the door swings open, and I yell, I'm sorry. And it was Steven. <laughs> and he goes, what are you sorry for? And I'm like, oh, man, I keep eating Brady's food. Do you want a bowl? <laughs> so it was revealed to the entire house, except for Brady, because I kept it from him. I owe you some money, granted. We'll get you there. But it was, it was revealed that I am an awful, awful serial thief. I'm a sinner. Um... So, if Jesus, uh, on a much grander scale, is revealing things about people that they don't want to be known, in a much more offensive scale, I think the only way that we're going to have, like, we're going to let this text impact us the way that it could impact someone who's already come to faith in Jesus. I'm talking to Christians right now. If you're not a Christian, you're off the hook right now. Um, We need to put ourselves in the shoes of the Jewish people who are receiving this message first, which is something that we usually don't do whenever we read the Bible. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to put ourselves in the Jewish people's shoes and remember that what they one of the things, the lesser thing that they took offense at that Jesus said was they don't desire the salvation of Gentiles. That was like salt in the wound, saying like, well, the Gentiles are going to be saved and you're not. Uh, Because you won't believe in me. That was super offensive to them because it revealed in their hearts that they had prejudices against people. Even though they knew that the book of Isaiah straight up says that the Messiah has come to save people from everywhere. Not just Jewish people. It actually says it's too light a task to just save Israel. That's why the Messiah is going to save all kinds of people. So like I said, I think in order to let this hit us in the face like Jesus wants it to, we have to ask the question, who is a Gentile to me? Who do I think a Gentile is? So, this answer is going to be different for everybody. Maybe it is a non-believer. Maybe it's an entire group of people. This, and only you are going to be the one who can answer who is a Gentile to you. Who are the people that we don't desire to be saved? And if you say, I can't think of anyone, you're not thinking hard enough. Because everyone has prejudices that Jesus has come to break down. Who are the people that you don't want to associate with? Who are the people that you don't want to befriend and tell them about Jesus? This can be one individual person or this can be an entire group. Who do we feel is undeserving of God's love? And then a bigger question, why do we feel like we deserve it and they don't? That's a a hard one, man. You know, are our Gentiles... um, Are the people that we work with because we think that they're lazy, or that they've done something to offend us, or they've put us in a bind, and now we don't want to befriend them, we don't want to talk to them anymore at all? Um, Are Gentiles the poor to us? And I don't mean the poor who are struggling to get by, and they're working two jobs, and they just can't seem to get a leg up. What I'm talking about is the marginalized people around here that don't work, that a lot of people I've heard them referred to as system suckers, people that collect a a welfare check or collect all these different public assistance things and don't work and they don't want to work? Is, are those our Gentiles that we don't want to talk to those people? Do we think we're better than those people? You know, um, exes, I've had to deal with this. You know, someone hurts you that you were once once loved and you were in a relationship with and now you don't desire them to come to Jesus? You don't? Want anything to do with them? You wouldn't talk to them? You wouldn't befriend them or help them because you think that they're just too low? Drug addicts, people who have hurt, hurt people around them, hurt themselves, maybe neglected their children, stole from family, and you say, that's way worse than anything I've ever done. I want nothing to do with them. Are these people, are our Gentiles people who have hurt us personally, said a cross thing to us, and, and hurt our feelings, and now we don't want to go around them anymore because we think that we are better than them? You know, so... Now that you have this person or this group of people in your mind, ask yourself this question again. Why do we feel like we deserve salvation and they don't? The Jewish people that Jesus was talking to had this exact same problem. Blatant arrogance. They thought, okay, because I'm a descendant of Abraham, because I'm ethnically Jewish... I deserve God's favor and his unmerited favor, which is grace. I deserve this Messiah to come to me. I deserve God because of my ethnicity. You know, we tend to do the same thing because we we think we deserve God's grace because I'm not as bad as that person. So I deserve God to love me and save me because I'm not as bad as someone who doesn't work. I'm not as bad as someone who does drugs. I'm not as bad as an atheist. I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. And we think that we deserve God to show us favor more so than them. And what we do whenever we do that is we're comparing ourselves to other people. Which is foolish. To compare yourself to another person is stupid because you're one sinner comparing yourself to another sinner. The only standard that really matters is God's standard. And the Bible says no person can hit it. Jesus was the only man that ever hit God's standard of perfection. So whenever you start comparing yourself to God's standard you start to see that you're just as worthless as you think that other person is. That you deserve hell just as much as you feel like that person does. That God's perfect standard is the great equalizer of people. It lets us know that we all suck and we all deserve hell. Period. That we are all worthless and that if God decides to show anyone grace, it's purely because he's good. Not because anyone was good enough or anyone was better than anyone else. But once we begin to see this truth, it becomes harder to think less of somebody else. Once this truth that, wow, I deserve hell just as... I'm the worst sinner I know, by the way. I feel like I deserve hell more than anyone in this room. Once we... Once we... Oh, man. (laughs) You are funny, PJ. Um... (laughs) But whenever we begin to accept the truth that everyone in here deserves hell, then it's the great equalizer, and it becomes harder to think less of somebody. But this is still a hard truth to swallow. It's still offensive. To be told that you're wretched and that you are deserving of God's judgment is incredibly offensive. But that was only salt in the wound. The true offensive thing that Jesus said was that he was the Messiah. This seemingly common man was claiming to be the son of God. And then to take it a step further, he was declaring God's judgment on anyone who rejected him. That's the real offense of Jesus here. You know, Jesus says, I come to liberate the captive, I come to set people free. And they say, You've come to do nothing, you're the son of a lying woman. You're the son of a poor carpenter. You've come to do nothing. You're from Nazareth. You're just like the rest of us. Who are you? Who do you think you are to come into this synagogue and tell us that you're the Messiah? You deserve to die for that. They rejected Jesus straight up. And because of that, they remain spiritual slaves to sin. And spiritual slaves to death. And slaves to God's judgment and God's wrath. Because they rejected Jesus. That's it. But Jesus is standing there proclaiming good news to these people. It's the first thing he does. I've come to proclaim good news to those who will accept me. I've come to set people free who will accept me. I've come to give sight to people who are spiritually blind. If you will listen, repent, and put your faith in me and believe that I am who I say I am, you are free. It's the greatest proclamation ever. And if you don't realize you need set free, you've not thought about it too much. Because everyone in this room who does not place their faith in Jesus is a slave. You're a slave to sin. You're a slave to your own desire. You're a slave to God's wrath. You're a slave to unrighteousness. And just like God doesn't let sin go unpunished in the Old Testament with the famine, God still does not let sin go unpunished. Sin deserves hell, because sin is rebellion against God. You've rebelled against the king of the universe, and that is treason. And we all deserve hell for it, because that is justice, and God is a God of justice. But in love, God says, I want these people to be free. So Jesus sends his son, and Jesus comes in perfect love, never sinning, never rebelling. And after living a sinless life, Jesus takes our sin on himself, all of our rebellion, all of the things that we've done against God and each other, and Jesus goes to the cross, and he's beaten. His face is beaten in so badly that he doesn't even look like a man. His back is laid open. He is stripped naked and mocked, which is what each and every one of us in here deserve. But then on top of that, Jesus goes to the cross where he doesn't just physically die. He suffers God's wrath. He suffers separation from God, hell for us. He takes what we deserve in our place as a substitute because he wants to set us free. And then God raises him from the dead three days later to say, Jesus' sacrifice has paid for sin of all who will believe he is the Messiah, of all who will believe that he is the Son of God and has done this for them. So the real question of this whole passage is who is Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? That's the the single greatest question in all of human history. You know, will you accept Jesus as Lord and will you accept him as Messiah and Savior and Son of God and be free from God's wrath? Or will you reject him as just a common man who died for no reason and be under slavery and God's judgment? You must respond. It's turn to Jesus or suffer hell. Those are your options because someone will pay for the sins that you've committed. Either Jesus did on the cross or you will when you die. Justice will be served because God demands it. But Jesus says that he has come to set you free if you will accept him. It does not have to be that way. So if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus or have him pay for what you've done, come talk to me after the service or or go over here during the worship service. We're going to have a couple people on the couches to talk with you, to pray with you. I'd love to explain this more or just pray with you if you need someone. But repent, turn to Jesus, trust in him as Messiah. There's no hope anywhere else. But if we Christians, those of us who trust Jesus, we, we say we believe Jesus is the Messiah We say that he's the one who has come to set people free from all kinds of backgrounds who have committed all kinds of various sins. If we believe that, why are we so apt to act like Jews from Nazareth? It's an inconsistency, and Jesus desires consistency. If we are truly, like, down with Jesus' message, then we'll desire the salvation of people that we don't even like yet. We should be wanting the salvation of all kinds of people. We should be praying for the salvation of all people, even the people we don't like. And on top of that, we should be asking God to change how we feel about these people so that we can love them the way Jesus already loves them. We should be, we should be praying, asking God to humble us until we recognize how wretched we are so that then we can go out and love everyone indiscriminately just like Jesus did. That's what we should be doing. Find out who your Gentile is in your life and kill that sin. Go to that person. Befriend those people that you don't like. Make an effort because you didn't deserve Jesus doing that for you. While you were in the middle of your most awful rebellion, God-hating, hostile to Jesus, he still died for you. Remember that. But the greatest question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? You must do something with him. The question won't go unanswered, because not answering the question is rejection of Jesus. You must answer the question, who is Jesus? Is Jesus the Son of God? The promised Messiah? The one who came to set people free with his life, death, and resurrection? Will you believe that and be free from God's judgment? Or will you reject Jesus and say, no, Jesus was a common man born to a lying woman who died for no reason and was nothing but a liar himself? Those are your options. Trust Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one who came and died for sin. Put your faith in that. And be free Let's pray Father thank you for Sending Jesus To set sinners like me free um, To set people free from addiction To set people free from their captivity To their own desires and sin Their own selfishness So that we could instead of being slaves to sin We could become slaves to righteousness I thank you so much for that Father, help us to, to not, not discriminate. To do our best to love all people, even when we don't want to. Even when it feels fake. Even when we have to force it. But to go and be willing to, to make friends with people that we don't like. Or to reconcile relationships with people that we've deemed Gentiles in our own eyes. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit moves in us so that we can begin to love all people the way that Jesus came to save and love people from everywhere. Father, again, thank you so much for sending Jesus to die as a perfect sacrifice in our place for our sin. Mm -hmm. God, we can't ever repay you for that, but what we can do is live our lives in obedience out of gratitude for you doing that. Father, we're going to worship you because of who you are. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.